Our scripture this morning is found in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Eighteen years of marriage. There is uh, apparently certain things that I do that Kina hates. I don't understand. She claims that I leave things, I have a tendency to leave things, apparently clothing items, on the floor quite a bit. And she hates it when I do that. It drives her nuts because she, she longs for order in our home. Amidst three little boys who are wonderful yet tornadoes, and apparently myself, uh, the house can become uh, quite a crazy mess sometimes. And you know what the truth is about me and Kina? Is I absolutely adore my wife. I love her. And my ultimate goal, my ultimate desire is to love her well. And so I know I know that she loves order in the house. I know it pleases her. And I do know that it drives her nuts when I run out of the house like I did this morning (laughs) and leave stuff on the floor. The thing I've learned over the years with Kina is uh, I know her love language. And it was fun. Uh, I wish I learned this first thing out of the gate when we were married was love languages. But Kina's love language is acts of service. She loves it when I will do things uh, around the house, when I will take care of things, and when I do these acts of service for her. And I know very specifically what those are. The first is, she feels uh, just loved and at peace when I, if I make the bed. For her, it is a wonderful thing. The other one, very specifically, is she loves it when the kitchen counter is clean. You know, again, with three little guys and we're running them from place to place, for her to come home and and, and we have a split-level house, so you walk up and there's the kitchen and the kitchen counter is cleaned off for her, it's like, ah, it's not another thing I have to take care of. And then she walks down the hall and the bed is, is made and again it's like, ah, rest. I know that about my wife. I love her. I am in a love relationship with her. I desire, again, to love her and please her because she's my bride. You and I, as children of God, are in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. We're in a beautiful covenant with him. He is the bride and we are the bride. Or he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. And so I know your desire as children of God is to to love him, to please him, to live for him. 
and how good it is when we know his ways. And this morning, as we look at Proverbs 6, we will see there's certain things about the Lord that he hates, that absolutely grieve his soul. And then the other thing I want to look at this morning with you is a reminder of the things he loves. Because I know you as well as me want to live for the Lord. We long to do that. We know we, we're messy and we fall short, but we long to love the Lord. And so I love this passage because it brings to the forefront, this is who our God is. These are the things that absolutely are contrary to his character, to his being. These are the things that bring death. And yet we want to live in the life of Christ. As we look at uh, chapter 6, it, it, it is a different kind of poetry, isn't it? There are six things the Lord loves and, and a seventh that is detestable to him. It really draws our attention. It's a shift in thinking. And, and so I think Solomon is really trying to teach his son, I want you to, to pay special attention here, as well as obviously for us. And the idea of, of the numbers that he uses is, one of the things that we know about the number seven is it's often uh, listed out as, as that which is uh, perfection, but more so that which is complete. And so I think, as, as Solomon is laying out this poetry style, that he's saying, these are, these are a complete idea of, of just how God hates sin. That this is a complete idea of how depraved we are in our sinfulness. These, these are not obviously the whole list of all sins on, on the earth, right? But they make up a complete concept of this is against God. And it makes up a complete idea of, again, who we are when we, we are just fallen sinners in need of a Savior. And so as we look at this, having the idea of what goes away from our Lord, what goes, again, in contrast to His wisdom for life. And so this morning as we enter into this chapter, what we're going to do is we're going to touch at bits and places of chapter 7. But I want to, I want to point out, again, two areas. One... What does our Lord hate? And a reminder of what our Lord loves, okay? That's where we're headed. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God has created us. We are amazing beings. We didn't just crawl out of some, you know, muck onto land and, and just show up. We are wonderfully made. And he gave us all these body parts to live out life in him. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit, are we not? He gave us eyes to see his light, to fix upon him. He gave us tongues to proclaim his truth. And as we sang to him this morning to, to bring him praise, he has given us hearts to feel compassion, to love, to love him and to love others. He's given us hands to hold out his blessings and to serve one another. And he's given us feet that would follow his ways. This path of righteousness, this path 
of life that our feet would, would again long to and search after wisdom like the Proverbs keep teaching us. Would you stay on the path? Would your feet walk in Him? Because it's what brings life to us. But God hates breaks his heart. It grieves him to the core. When we take this beautiful gift of of our body, we are children of God, and we use it for destruction. We live it out in a way that is absolutely in contrast to the beautiful character of God. He hates it. And one of the things I wanted us to think about this morning is do we hate what God hates? Do we truly hate what He hates? And do we love what He loves? He says this as he begins chapter 6, I hate haughty eyes, these proud eyes. It's a, it's a proud look, it's an eyes that, that, that lift up or, or look down upon and we raise up and, and we think again that we are better. You know, it's interesting, I was reading uh, in the newspaper about uh, the Dream Team, or this year they're called the Redeem Team, right? And it said, it's amazing, in the, in the headline for the, for the team. It's amazing. But it said, it's not amazing that they're in the finals. What's amazing is they've put aside their egos so that they could advance to the finals. That's what blew everybody away. They actually humbled themselves enough to say, we'll play as a team. And that caught the attention of the world. Because Dream Team fell four years ago in Greece. The scriptures are very clear. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. The Greek, or the the Latin word for these haughty eyes is oculus sublimus. And the dream team had that four years ago. And they were humbled and they fell. And this year, again, it seems that they're working together. And I messed up first service. I announced who won. I guess I haven't even played the game, so I won't do that here. But I know who won, if you want to know. (laughs) The game's tonight. But, you know, it's just, again, this idea that, again, we are so much better It really is the first sin, isn't it? It comes from the foundation. Old Lucifer really thought he had it going on. And he raised up his eyes to think that he could be just as God is. And it's permeated all the way down to humanity. Thinking again that we deserve better in life. Better from God. God, look at how I'm living for you. I deserve better. And he says, and where were you when I laid the foundations of the world, O Job? Don't you think for a second that you understand my ways? Don't you think that you can play God? It's an idea that, again, that even as you look down this list, that you start to go, well, thank goodness, I'm doing well in this area, but, you know, my friend over here is not. In our Christianity, boy, we are quick, aren't we, to judge how everybody's doing in these certain areas? We have haughty eyes, a proud look, 
And he's saying, listen, all that this does and what God hates about it is that it just tears that relationship. It breaks everything in our relationship with each other. And with God, it breaks because we think, listen, I know it all. I don't need to hear from you, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's people who never take instruction. And not only that, I don't need to hear from you, God, but thanks for sharing. Do you ever have your children do that? You're trying to instruct them in ways of life. You say, hey, listen, why don't you do this? And they're like, I know, Dad. You told me already. I'm a head football guy. Actually, Stan Grant coaching with me. And we're teaching guys on the football field, listen, you've got to you know, block this direction, you've got to block this gap. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, well, you just missed the block. <laughs> what? That's why I'm telling you. Oh, yeah, I got it, coach. Ten-year-olds. They just don't, <laughs> come on. But isn't it what we do to the Lord? Saying, children, I want you to live here. They were like, I know, Lord, I got it down. These proud eyes of ours. God hates it. It's, it's absolute opposite of who he is. What he loves is humility. He loves it so much, again, Philippians says, oh, that we would imitate him who humbled himself even to the point of the cross, who emptied himself and took on, not as though it was a lesser thing, but because it's his character, he took on that of servant. That's the character of God. Jesus teaches us the parable, doesn't he? Do you remember the one who went up into the temple? There was the Pharisee and there was the tax collector and the tax collector stood up in his place and he said, Oh, thank God! I am not like Jackson Kramer, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father, that I have it all figured out. I fasted today. Thank you, Lord, that I live such a good life. And then there was the tax collector who came. He couldn't even, couldn't even look up to heaven. He said, Oh, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus' response in his parable in Luke 18 is, I tell you this, this man, rather than the other, the Pharisee, he went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Hudson Taylor, this, this beautiful, wonderful man who served in China, great missionary for our Lord. He came back home and he, and he went and he visited a church in Australia and it was a large church. And as he went to the church, the, the, they, they made this big, you know, presentation of, of the, the, here comes our guest. And like, oh, he's done all these things in China. It's amazing what he's done. And now, our illustrious guest, Hudson Taylor, 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 Taylor. And Hudson Taylor, a faithful servant of God, came up and he said, Dear friends, I am a little servant of an illustrious God. God loves that. That we are humble before Almighty God 
that we are humble with one another and that we would live our lives as such. God hates a lying tongue. You know, there's a group of Automatic Data Processing, Inc., and they they took 3.8 million job applications, and they went through and they did all these background checks. 52% of them falsified their application. Rutgers Management Education Center surveyed 4,500 students last year. 75% engage in serious cheating at school. What was most disturbing was 50% said they didn't even think it was an issue. They didn't label it as cheating, that it was a problem. And I think as we look at this list, as we look at what's going on, we go, you know, that's what's happening to us in this culture. We are becoming so desensitized to what is the ways of God and to what is the ways of the world, of the enemy, too. And, and, and we get these calluses on our fingers. You know, I think of, of playing the guitar, and as you start to play, there's a little pain, a little shock, because your fingers hurt. And then after a while, you start strumming away. There's no more feeling. There's no more ouch. There's no more, this is wrong. A little shock value of what is right and wrong before the Lord what he hates and what he loves. And we lose it. And so when lying comes about, it's kind of like, oh, well. You know, I, I don't know if you saw last night, they even, you know, I, I love the Olympics. I sure am having fun watching them. I'm staying up way too late enjoying them. But it's, it, it's kind of this sense of, well, we know they're cheating. You know, these little Chinese girls, we don't know. They're 10, 12, who, you know, we'll check into it. But the guy with the IOC last night, the president, he says, you know, we know there's always going to be doping. But we just hope we catch the good majority, you know? I mean, that's just part of the deal. And you go, yuck, yuck. The whole thing feels kind of, eh. And what lying does in our relationships with each other again is it just, it just damages us. How can we trust? How can we ever feel a sense of, of integrity and honesty? It's so opposite of God, who is truth. James uh, Dobson said, if you tell me the truth all of the time, I can believe you all of the time. If you tell me the truth part of the time, I can't believe you any of the time. But it's just a little white lie. I love this quote. Those who think it's okay to tell a little white lie often go colorblind. We forget where we're at. Lying is not the nature of the Heavenly Father. It is actually what is called of the enemy, the great deceiver, the one who gives lies. He is the father of lies. And so we go, which kingdom are we advancing with our lives and with our words? That of the Lord or that of the enemy? In chapter 7, there's this young man, he's, he's called this simple young man who walks down the street and and the lure of the temptress comes upon him. And she comes out to meet him and talks about all these things that they can enjoy together. In verse 18 of chapter 7, here's the lie. You ready? Come, let's drink of deep love until morning. 
Let us enjoy ourselves with love. That's the greatest lie of all. That this is love. That what we have together when we are going into sexual immorality, that we are engaging in love. When all it is 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 a fleshly lust to please our sexual drive, desires, and the lie that goes out. Oh, this is love. And how many a young man and a woman have been told, oh, but I love you. It's a lie. Straight from the enemy. Straight from the pit. God hates it. And again, that we would live lives that would tell truth. Because he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. That is true. That our lives would reflect in our truth-telling, the character of God, that He is the only way. That He is the one who really loves us. Like Adrian said, He's the lover of our souls. That is true. And again, as we love each other and as we speak truth in love, that it reflects all of the character of God. That is where He wants us to live our lives. That we are to walk in truth, Kings, 1 Kings says. That we are to speak to one another in truth, Ephesians 4. That we are to love it, to rejoice in truth, Corinthians 13. And that we would meditate upon it, the Word of God, which is true. Because it is truth that sets us free. And He loves it. Would we be ones that are truth-tellers? so that people would know about the truth of the Lord. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. Here was the headline. Horrifying videotapes draw tears from jurors. That was Friday's paper about young Dylan, who was murdered by Joseph Duncan. And where the jurors couldn't take watching the videos. It was so disgusting, sadistic, wrong. And they couldn't look upon it. The headline should have said, and Jesus wept to the core. Because he hates the shedding of innocent life. Again, we've become desensitized in our in our view of murder and of, of life. It's unfortunate, you know, all of us, I mean, most of us, we go see movies, and there is, there's a lot of murder. And you kind of, it doesn't even shock you so much anymore. I know it's true of me. I go, wow, that didn't bother me too much. I see it, it seems like a lot. We play all these video games, again, that are just killing people. And it does, doesn't it? It, it, it creates this callous on us, and it's, it's interesting in the uh, people have sent in letters to to Channel Seven. You know, Channel Seven actually talked about. They're like, we've received all kinds of input about not necessarily showing all the coverage on this terrible murder by James Duncan. But I like the response, which is, you know, we need to we need to tell the truth. We're not showing. I mean, it goes a lot worse, but we're revealing also what's going on in culture. 
And they said, we're not going to hide the fact that there is people like this. And I thought actually it was good because it, I hope for most of you, it just, it was so abhorrent. It was just so gross. I hope that you got a taste of the heart of God over life. Because in other simple death, we seem to have gotten a little callous. I hope it woke us up to, to shedding of innocent blood, how it repulses him, how it, again, is so contrary to all his being, of God's being, of, of the lover of life, the creator of life. You know, God hates abortion. He hates it. You know, I know some, some have taken that path. It's nothing against... God, God loves you. Again, he's full of grace for all of our sin. But he hates abortion. All the shedding of these young ones. You know, I was at the hospital this last week for this beautiful child who was born, Cameron Rogers, to Dan and Genevieve. Just great, beautiful little boy. As I sat with them in the hospital room, and you look at this beautiful creation, and you go, how can we do nothing but go, God, you are awesome. You are the creator of life. You are the giver of this gift. You say, this is my child who I knit together in her mother's womb and just give him nothing but praise. I want you to have that heart of God because he is the lover of life. He has knit you together, especially just the way you are, perfect. In his image, and that we would be people who, again, preserve life. That we would intentionally go after preserving what is valuable before God. Because He is life. And He loves life. And the most important thing that He loves is you. The Chinese don't let the little girl with crooked teeth sing her song because she doesn't meet perfection. And God says, oh my goodness, you are absolutely beautiful to me. You are my creation. I love you and I love life. Would we be ones again who help and move and preserve life? He hates hearts that devise wicked schemes, that quickly rush into wicked schemes, wicked actions, you know, the extreme of this, obviously, is, is what we see going on in the world, this terrorism that is taking place, hiding out in caves and planning how to destroy people, to destroy life. Wicked schemes against one another. It's ideas that, again, it's, it's an idea that you are going against. The temptress in chapter 7, she's saying, listen, she comes out to the young man and look, I prepared my bed. I, I went and I made offerings in the church. She again lays out a spiritual dynamic to the sexual encounter. Look at all the plants. I, I have made up my bed with beautiful perfumes. She's planned this whole thing out to destroy this young man. The end of chapter 7 says it leaves him to the grave. It absolutely destroys life. I was thinking about what it looks like for us sometimes and have, we, have you been wronged lately? And sometimes in our flesh, 
we start to go, oh, I want to get that person back for what they've done to me. And you do kind of start to plan in your mind how I could get that person back. And again, as, as you struggle with that before the Lord, go, Lord, I know this is so opposite of you. Let, I want you to be judge and jury over this mess. I want to get my revenge. I've started thinking in my mind what I could do to this person. But to release it over to the Lord. He doesn't love a heart that devises wicked scheme. He loves a heart that plans good. How can I love this person? How can I bring life to this person? How can I bring them joy? How can I serve them? A heart of serving, a heart of surrender, a heart of giving, a heart of compassion. That's what he loves. He says, I hate feet that rush quickly into evil. And it's really the idea of, I've, I've sat and I've been entertaining these things for quite some time. I've been entertaining what I want to do. And then so finally, when it comes about, I enter into that action. You know, fairs don't just happen, do they? It starts the entertaining thought. Then it's a little cup of coffee. Then it's a lunch, a couple business dinners. And then when the offer is made, you are quick to rush in. You know this young man who's walking down the street in, in Proverbs 7. It says he's, he's walking out at night. He's kind of a simpleton, but I don't think he just showed up. It's not as though he didn't know. Uh, where the street was that all the sexual pleasures were offered. Oh, it's late at night and I'll just be taking this street here that's Crooked Street. Oh, what shows up as I'm walking late at night down this path? You don't show up in the red light district in Amsterdam just with a sip of cup of coffee and like, oh, red light district. Well, I guess since I'm here... Now you've been entertaining thoughts. And so much so that you, you, all of a sudden you get to the place and you rush right into the, the good things to bring good news. That we would use our lives for that. To be the bearers of good news. Feet that help those who are helpless. Feet that, like the Good Samaritan, would help those who are wounded. And then he says, I love... I love, or excuse me, I hate those who pour out lies. Truly those who would damage reputation. You know, I played a lot of football in high school, and man, those locker room talks, they damaged a lot of girls. We poured out lies about these girls who didn't do anything, yet they got a reputation. It's a backstabbing. It's, a, it's one who, again, speaks strongly against another one who tears apart the body of Christ, who is divisive. You know, it's been good in this body. We, we haven't had these issues in, in a while, but we, we used to get quite a bit of letters, sometimes with the way we were doing things as church leaders. And they'd be pretty angry letters. And it would challenge what we were doing. That's okay. We're, we're body together. We're family. But the problem is these letters would come unsigned. And as a leader of the church, you go, what, what can I do with this? How can we bring about unity when we can't even discuss our struggles with each other? 
Those type of letters are nothing but divisive to the body of Christ. You go, hey, we're messy. We are messy people. We wrong each other. We, we sin against each other. But let us bring about unity, Psalm 133. Oh, beautiful it is when brothers dwell together in unity like oil poured down the beard of Aaron. God loves that. Loves when we dwell together in unity. All of these things reflect the character of our loving God. And I pray this morning as we think about this passage that we would begin to to love the things that God loves and to ask the Spirit to give us a heart that hates what He hates. That we would reflect His beautiful character to a world who needs to know Him. That our lives, again, would be living out life. Amen? Hey, we want to take just a few minutes to, as a body, to share what's going on in our body uh, financially as elders. And so Brian and Brian, or Brian Squared, we call them, we want them to come and just share with you uh, what's going on in this body so that they can give you a heart of the elders for this church. Thanks, guys. Good morning. I'm Brian Elliott, and this is Brian Slater. And as uh, elder representatives, we wanted to communicate to the body a uh, pending situation we have with our finances. Uh, as a body, you know that we are committed to depending on the Lord for just about everything. Uh, we depend on Him for direction, uh, to lead us as we uh, try to lead this body. Uh, we're dependent upon Him to empower you, His saints, to do the work of the ministry. Uh, we're also dependent upon Him to move His people to give. And as we, uh, as we take a look at our future and as we try to do our best to effectively plan, we, we have to take the wisdom of James into this whole aspect. And he says that if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And so as we look to our future, we always have to hang on to it lightly because we want to be responsive to what the, how the Lord directs us. And we are faced with difficult economic times. We, uh, I'm sure that you're very much aware of that as, our, as a nation. Uh, even as a family, you've been experiencing the increased prices all across the board. And uh, it's also have been affected in, in regards to the gifts to the kingdom. Um, we anticipate that this is going to continue on, these uh, economic hard times, for at least the next year. But as a result, in our current situation, the gifts to uh, coal have been the lowest they've been in about 12 years. And as of the end of July, we're about $75,000 behind where we projected to be for this year. Now, we've taken a few steps in asking the staff to cut back on their expenses, and they've done a good job at that. But we're coming to the end of our ability to uh, completely pay our bills and our staff. And so uh, as we take a look at what we're doing, uh, as a ministry, as a philosophy of ministry, we believe that uh, uh, we're a discipling church. And as a discipling church, we believe that the ministry is life on life, and as a result of that, our staff is, is a large staff. This is the right thing for us to do, but in times of economic uh, struggles, one of the challenges that presents is that staffing uh, is not something that's very flexible during these tight times. So what are we looking at? Number one we're looking at is uh, we are committed not to incur debt for ongoing operations. So as a result of that, we have to take the next step and take a look at our current budget and evaluate that whole budget. We need to look at areas how we're going to reduce or uh, we need to take a look at perhaps we need to postpone some, uh, some transfers of money to other ministries or to even eliminate some things. If our current situation continues in the near future, we're going to also have to ask our staff to cut back 
in, in, uh, in their salaries. And we think that this should be across the board so not to call uh, undue stress on any one particular individual. Now, we've never implemented such a cutback, and we hope that we don't have to. But we know that as God has charged us to take care and to look and to plan accordingly, we need to look at the possibility of the situation that presents itself. One thing I want to make sure that uh, Brian's going to kind of give us a response, but I also want to understand that and hope that you understand that this is not a surprise to God, and he's not disappointed or anxious. And I think that's our same response, as we are not to be anxious or to operate out of fear, but to uh, operate in a, a, a strong faith that God will provide. And so it's not a surprise to God. We're just trying to listen to what he, how he's directing. Um, as I was thinking about this morning, um, I couldn't help think about um, earlier this year, we uh, studied Exodus. And if you look in Exodus 35, it talks about how um, the Lord commanded Moses to tell the people about uh, all the, the items they needed for the temple and how to, to build the tent. And um, so he, he laid out what the needs were, and that's what Brian has done here. And then what happens is the Lord lays it on the people's heart and the Spirit moves them to give. And so what we're here today is just to ask you guys is to pray about it and pray about what the Lord would ask you to do, what's your part. What we're not asking you to do is just to dig deeper. Um, that's not what we want. We want you to, to, to figure this out between you and the Lord. And um, we know that he's going to provide for us. We just don't know what that looks like. And so we're just going to confidently wait on him and we're going to pray and to see what he does. So please, again, pray about what the Lord would have you do and pray for um, the elders as we try to navigate through this. So thank you very much. Well, I just, uh, just wanted to know it's my last Sunday with you guys. It's been good. <laughs> no, you know, it's so cool. I, I love these elders. They, they are wise men, and, and uh, we truly do. We know this is the Lord's church. And I hope you always know, you know, we, we never are a church that's about laying guilt trips or anything like that. God's working in your hearts, but you're our family. We're family together, and this is just where we're at. So we trust God for this body, and we trust God for what he has for us. So I do, like our elders, uh, and as an elder, uh, just want to lift us up, uh, give us wisdom, and ask God to, to, again, move your hearts where he needs to move your hearts. So Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, that I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Lord, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless, worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared, O God. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. May we hate what he hates. And may our hearts be moved to love what he loves. And may you never forget what he loves most is you. Truly. Amen? God bless you guys.